Good day, listeners. Welcome to Beyond the Checkbox, where we learn how to integrate more mental wellness into our organizations, and we learn through frontline leaders. Those are the best people to talk to, and that's who we had on the podcast today, Samantha Coker, who is the CHRO of a company called Apache Industrial Holdings, and they work in construction. This is It's a big company. It's maybe a company you haven't heard of, uh, but these are the companies that I love to talk to the HR executives with because these are the literally the people that run the economy and build the roads and build the everything that we rely on. And they don't get much credit because they're not flashy brands. And they have unique challenges like staffing those organizations. So that's what Samantha drills down into today is how to create a culture of psychological safety and how that improves retention, how that improves attraction of employees. And in construction, as you likely know, that's not the easiest place to attract employees these days. Some construction companies struggle to get individuals into those really important frontline industries. Great paying jobs, benefits, people who work hard and support their families. And, you know, th those are some of the industries where they're struggling at times to attract people. So we talked to Samantha about that. It was a great conversation. Um, I was, you know, really fortunate to sit down with Samantha a couple of times to discuss the context of this. And uh, if it doesn't come through the podcast, Samantha is very funny and uh, just an easy person to chat with. I really enjoyed my time with her. I hope you enjoy the show. have been in let's say male dominated industries for most of your career if i could say that I, warley may have been a little more balanced i know apache is a very frontline kind of male heavy workforce how have you navigated that and what there's been challenges i'm sure what how have you navigated that so i i never really thought of you know, I'm, I'm entering this workforce as, as a woman and I'm surrounded by men. It just, that didn't enter my psyche. I, I knew I was going to have to work hard no matter, no matter what. And the, the gender piece didn't really come into, into my, my thoughts um, until it was kind of, you know, things like International Women's Day became a thing and we started talking more about diversity and inclusion. And then you start realizing like, oh, okay, there are some nuances and, and some things that we can do better to make the, the workplace um, just a better place and more inclusive for all of us to, to be more successful and to feel more comfortable and have all the opportunities for growth and development. So, um, so I would say at, at the beginning, it just wasn't a factor, but but the further along I get in my career, I realize how important it is to create that inclusive environment, not just for women, but really for, for everyone. You know, we all have, 
have our own um, diversity and, and inclusion pieces that we bring to the table. So for me, it's always been about the individual. You know, if, if it's a woman and a working mom, okay, can we peel away a, a piece of stress from, from her life to where she is able to engage and fully contribute um, to our business? And if the answer is yes, then, then let's work to make that happen. Same thing for, you know, um, just other ethnicities or whatever we need to do to make a more inclusive environment really has, has been the approach from, from my perspective. It wasn't necessarily a gender focused um, component, but I'm always happy to celebrate women. So, is that Has that been a part of your role at Apache? Has it been a part of what you're doing is trying to create more inclusivity in that workplace? Yeah, definitely. This this company is actually very um, diverse. So 30% of our workforce is female, which is really good, especially in this industry. That's 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 high. So we we have a good foundation to build upon. And again, it's it's how do we how do we take that to the next level and make sure not only that we have a high percentage of women, but that we're offering, you know, the right development opportunities and the, the right positions within the company for people to grow and, and feel like they're contributing to the overall mission. So that's been my role is figuring out where are we starting from and then how do we harness that power and get, get even better and get, get our folks even more engaged and feeling better about what they do. Has the, the great resignation, has that, have you seen that in the trades and the crafts? So the the interesting thing in the trades and the crafts is um, not so much the great resignation. Like I said, we had a shortage of workers pre-COVID, and I, I'm still confused on, on where the workers have all gone. We do have a very high demand, but just in general, um, we seem to have a shortage of workers across all the industries. Um, which is a challenge, but the great resignation has not necessarily impacted the trade, so to speak. We were struggling to meet the demands before um, COVID, and now you know work is picking up. So that's going to continue for the, the next three years, where we'll see a real a real crunch on meeting the demands of the, the trades certainly here in the U.S. and I think Canada is going to see the same thing. Um, on the professional side, the great resignation has definitely impacted um, our business and, you know, previous roles that I've had before. People are enlightened. They want, they want to have a different uh, life balance and um, or they, they want to pursue a dream or some entrepreneurship um, opportunity that they have. And so we're, we're looking to to find, you know, the right, the right balance of what we can offer and still deliver the business that we, we need to. You, so where, where are people going? I don't get this. I don't know. You know, my, the two Starbucks near my house are, will randomly be closed because they don't have workers. And I, I don't know. I don't know where they went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say I, and I don't think any HR professional has a great grasp of the, the great resignation. And we kind of talked about it as, I, I, I like the piece about enlightenment, like people are, 
are going elsewhere to pursue their own path. But it, like, are are they like are do are we seeing a ten x? Full, like, are we seeing 10x the number of entrepreneurs out there who are starting their own businesses? I'd like to see that data. Uh, are people just not working? They have savings? I don't know what the mix is. Uh, I, I don't know either. And I'm, it is uh, definitely a conundrum. So if you get any any insight on it, please share any articles um, because we're, we're trying to figure it out. But yeah, I w- going back to Apache for the, the trades, we're, you know, fighting the good fight of, of attracting people to this this business and connecting to the purpose of that, that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to college to to earn a degree um, to make a good living. You, If that's not your thing, we have a path for you and here's how you do it. Um, and kind of painting that picture is, is really important. And then <clears throat> on the professional side, um, since I've been here, I've not actually really seen a whole lot of resignations, you know, related to people chasing dreams and, and that kind of thing. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will stabilize um, in our business for sure. But the great resignation is, is a real thing. And um, the, the silver lining, from my viewpoint, is that it's, teach, it's making better leaders because we're realizing, you know, that we, we need to connect with people on a different level and um, and really understand, you know, what they want out of their career. They want to be connected to a purpose. And, you know, can we offer that um, and, and really meet people where they are? In some cases, we can't, but it's, it's forcing, I think, more meaningful relationships in the workforce from what I can see. You, you mentioned purpose, and I, th- I think with industrial organizations that's a really interesting development like in tech it's there's like every tech company has a purpose to save the world right and it's a bit like that's why sometimes you go to tech to like disrupt and change and you have a greater purpose every tech company has a big purpose and a big why statement i'm seeing some of that in industrial organizations and have you found it First of all, is that a strategy of Apache to retain is to make sure everyone is attached to a purpose? Is that a thing? And if so, what are the what are, what are the challenges inherent to that? So it's not a thing yet. We we actually haven't rolled out a, a purpose or um, vision statement yet. But but I think it will become a thing because um, your example on on tech, like we want to create something that changes the world. What we're doing. So that the projects that we build have a direct impact on the community that we're in. You know, if we're working in a refinery, you can easily look at that and say, oh, that's a, a dirty old refinery. Okay, well, we need that to produce energy to serve the community. And oh, by the way, we're contributing all of these jobs, you know, to this town or that, that may not have many other options for the folks that live there. So there's different ways for us to connect to it. And, um, and I do think it, it means something to the, to the people that are in this business. I'll give you my, my own personal why and, and why this matters to me. I, um, I'm from a small town in Louisiana. My whole family worked in this business. My dad was um, in industrial maintenance. And so we would have people from town come over 
and, you know, knock on the door and say, hey, Mr. Field, I, I need, I, you know, I need a job. Can you help me out? They're just looking for a helper opportunity or something like that. And he would say, yep, come to this address, you know, Monday morning and we'll see if we can help you out. That makes a difference to somebody. He's giving them the opportunity to provide for their families if they're willing to work and willing to, you know, even to pass a drug test and, and uh, adhere to safety protocols and do all the things to build a better life. And having a productive, meaningful way to put food on the table for your family is a big deal. So I remember that from childhood. So that stuck with me and that that's my why. For somebody else in this business, they may enjoy working with their hands and you know seeing an actual physical structure that they built. That, that could be a part of it for them. So again, it's, it's connecting with people and figuring out what's important to them, what, what they care about and what they feel good about doing and contributing to the, to the world. Yeah, that, that really hits home with me because I think that is, a, that's a, that's a, in some ways a deeper level of purpose than any kind of purpose statement could provide. Right. Like that. Uh, I, I also grew up in a small town. Um, part of the one of the things that I think really stuck with me is seeing how poverty can what I now know really impact mental health. And, and it's probably the most deleterious thing for our mental health is when you cannot provide for family, cannot provide for yourself um, and having meaningful work in my in my practice has been like if I had a pill that I could give individuals so they could have meaningful work. Like everyone wants a friend, a home, and a job. Every person in the world, uh, every person that I've ever met through my practice in particular, and so that that really resonates with me. Is that that's that's maybe where we should be orienting our purpose statements, right? to provide for you and your family and to be a part of these really kind of magnificent builds that provide energy for our communities. Yeah. I, I was listening to something recently and I, I wish I had the, the reference, but um, you know, it was talking about how so some of the literature and different development books and stuff for so long was about finding your passion and chasing your passion and that, and it um, we might've missed the mark on that. It could be, you know, what do you feel good about? What allows you some autonomy and what allows you to really be productive and feel like part of a, a team day to day and, and earn a living while you're doing it. So maybe, maybe your passion is, is fitness, but you don't, you want that to be your passion and something you enjoy. So you don't necessarily have to have that as your job. You can do something, you know, else as your job in corporate America or industrial, whatever it is. Um, and feel like a part of a team and feel productive and earn a good living. Um, that's not necessarily, you know, a, a passion that you're chasing, but you still feel really, really good about it. Um, and it provides the opportunity to, for you to chase passions, uh, support your family, et cetera. So it was just a different kind of shift. Yeah. And I want to explore that a little bit because the, the, the passion thing is very interesting. I think we've missed the mark entirely. And I can't, I can't totally figure out what it is. Like, how would you, when you think about something, passion, and, and something you're passionate about, 
How do you think about that? Because sometimes I think we miss it and interpret it as like a, a thing that is always fun. And that's like not what it should be, I don't think. But how do you think about that? Like what is a passionate thing that we should be talking about? Because I think we've missed the mark totally on this. I, I think you're right. Um, and you hit it on the head. Like we look at it as something that should be fun or relaxing or we just feel great about all the time. Um, and that's not always the case. So if I, if I reflect on, you know, what I'm, what I'm passionate about, passionate about in my work life is just that, like, I, I love being productive. I love, you know, getting to the end of a day or a week and looking back and being like, wow, look what we accomplished. Am I passionate about human resources policies? Not really, (laughs) but that's part of, you know, what, what contributes to the business to make it all work. And I think, you know, if we look at anyone who's really, really successful in business, they, they probably don't love all of the little aspects that, that make them successful, but they do it anyway. And they're really good at it. And they're disciplined about, you know, the way in which they, they get things accomplished. And so that, that drives um, that sense of accomplishment, which may not be, you know, a super fun passion thing all day, every day. So I think, I think we're missing the mark on like, like you said, all eight, 10, 12 hours a day aren't going to be fun and full of like, yay, but we're still, we're all working toward a goal and we feel good about it at the end. I, I think the problem with the view and the potential view of the passion thing is is as you outlined if it's not always fun and it won't be like i think if you're successful in something uh, i heard something about david goggins mentioning that to get somewhere the things you don't want to do are going to trump the things that you do want to do like the discomforts are going to outweigh and out frequency the comforts in that situation and i believe that and if we're thinking of like oh i have to be passionate about my job as a like kind of a statement and that is perceived to be something that is always fun you're never going to get to the 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 like the juice in the orange you know it's always just going to be a fun thing and you're going to bail out before you get to that thing that brings you the reward i totally agree and i was not planning to talk about my dad so much but here he comes again (laughs) when uh when i first graduated from grad school and moved me to Houston. He left a card on my, um, on the counter at my apartment. And he said, in order to be successful, you will have to do a lot of things you don't want to do, do them well. And it's, it's so true. Like there's going to be a lot of things that are fun and you enjoy. It's, it's a matter of all of the other pieces that, that you need to take care of to get the job accomplished. And those need to be done well you know, at the same time. So do you think this is part of the great resignation thing? Like where people may think, you know, I don't want to do the uncomfortable things anymore because in some ways COVID shows me I don't have to, and I can pursue that thing that is always fun. That's maybe a bit of an obtuse view, but do you think that's playing into it? The, 
the passionate discussion about my work and the like discomfort thing about work? I think so. I think, you know, people for so long had a, I, and, you know, I certainly did my, my husband did and, and just talking to other folks as well, um, had a view that, you know, you, in order to be successful, you have to get up and be at the office by 7.30 and, you know, work long hours and be in person. And it's, it's a grind. Um, and so when, when those things kind of fell away and you saw other opportunities, other ways in which you can work and be productive, that that really, you know, opened people's minds. And then that's one component. And then the other is, well, you know, what else can I, can I do kind of, you know, on my own time, our own schedule in my own environment. And, and so it just opened up a, a whole different way of thinking of, you know, how to, how to contribute and how to earn, earn a living um, that we just probably never took the time to think about before because we were so busy in the rat race. So it kind of shocked us as a society into thinking, oh yeah, there's like other things I can do with my time and some discomforts I don't have to live with and other opportunities to pursue my quote unquote passion. I think so. So we're, we're seeing that I think the pendulum swung way over the other direction and, and it'll probably start to settle here soon, I hope. Um, but I, I guess time will tell on that. Settle in terms of people coming back or it's easier to retain talent? Yeah, in terms of people coming back, um, easier to, to retain, maybe wanting you know that stability again um, after they've tried something and yeah hopefully we we get to a better place and and we find where the other workers went right yeah so you're not seeing necessarily a brain drain toward something that you could put your finger on like you're as a group uh, as a grouping of industries you're still trying to figure out where people have gone and the difficulties they're in yeah i would say that's fair yeah okay what's working like uh, this is one thing I, I try to leave our listeners with some some practical things uh, because you are a leader and you've been a leader in in uh, a number of important companies. What is working for you right now? You mentioned the education while you work. Is that some is that a strategy that's getting traction? Uh, I know you're exploring like mental health supports. Is that a strategy that you're considering? What what's working and maybe what isn't working? Yeah. So what's working definitely is, is getting out there and, you know, reaching out to not just, uh, we're reaching out to high school kids. We're reaching out to, um, folks who might be kind of in an underemployed situation and saying, look, we have the opportunity for you to come and learn a trade and you will be, you know, paid while you learn and you have the opportunity to go to work as soon as you get through our training program. Um, and here are all the, the things that are, you know, possible for a future in this business. Um, so that's, that definitely has some traction. We're also partnering with our, our client organizations to help support that, that um, messaging, because, you know, we're an industrial service provider, we're working for um, oil companies, chemical companies, and, and everyone is struggling to find the talent that's needed to execute these huge projects that are very important to our communities and, and really to our resources. So 
getting that messaging out it, and it is definitely successful. So whereas, you know, pre-pandemic and I guess a few years before that, we would have had people knocking on our door looking for work. Now we're, we're really having to put ourselves out there to say, we want you to come work for us and here's what we're willing to do to make sure this is a good experience for you and it helps build the foundation for your future. So that's, that's really successful. The other piece um, that's a, a huge mission for, for myself, for our, our whole leadership team, is making our company a good place to work, you know, um, being truly being an employer of choice. So I was actually sharing this with our board last week. Um, it's it's little, little things. We want to give people the opportunity to, to have a better life and, you know, peel away whatever stress that we can as the employer. So um, we're providing financial wellness education. That's a benefit that we have and just making sure people know that that it's available and they take advantage of it. Certainly the mental health services, you know, taking it a step beyond uh, just an EAP poster and saying, there's a lot going on in the world. Um, Here are the resources that we have. We're going to do a webinar, just getting more communication out to make sure that people truly understand what the service is, that it's available, that it is it is no cost, those kinds of things for them and their family. Um, listening to people. So I'm, I'm new uh, to Apache. So that's been my, my mission is, is really to understand, you know, what are the issues and, and what can we, what can we do to, to make this a better place for people to work and feel good about coming to every day. Um, and it sounds simple, but, but that's it. You know, if people want to contribute, they want a good job, they want to feel good about it. And we have the capability to, to make this a better place to work. So let's, let's do it. Do you see with these strategies that are working, like there was kind of so we consider like the pre-pandemic world and then everything went to hell in the pandemic and then is there like a post-pandemic strategy that you're considering for retention and attraction and training like is that a separate era that we're in right now than we were in a year ago i think definitely um and you know i'll go back to making making this environment work for the the team we have now because we've all been changed by the pandemic in some way so maybe what we needed before uh is is different and i'll give you a couple of examples um you know a a hybrid work schedule or um work environment was not a thing here previously and you know, it's Houston, Texas. People are commuting long distances. That adds stress that we don't necessarily need on a day-to-day basis. So we can we can fix that. You know, and that that goes a long way uh, for people deciding to stay or you know being engaged because they're not stressed about um, all of the other things that they have to try to fit in in their day. So there's definitely a different strategy. Um, now versus versus pre-pandemic and it's it's really about um leading on an individual basis and that that's that's a lot harder 
and managing, you know, a time clock uh, style, style management. It, it's truly about leadership and engaging with people on, on a one-to-one basis. I, I love the like one-on-one basis thing. It, it um, like, I, I think we're, we're in an era of radical personalization of things. I think we will like throughout maybe the sixties, seventies, I don't know, eighties, we like connection with people. Those business practices seem to be of the most important things I'm reading. Um, Dale Carnegie's book, uh, how to win friends and influence people. And, uh, like 80 million copies sold or something and spinning, like there's some problems with the book, right? It's like inherently a bit sexist. Um, and there's some like really interesting things, but it's all about connection with people. And so it really struck me that when the book was written, which I think was the twenties or thirties, um, we'll have to fact check that. Uh, we, you know, the connection with people is of utmost importance. And then now, now it was all about like scale and connecting with people at distance quickly and efficiently. Like during the pandemic, we were putting in 15 minute time slots in our calendars. Like, could you imagine pre pandemic that like we have 15 minute meetings? Like maybe that's common in some workplaces. It seems a bit bizarre. I think we're going to come back to realizing that connection, human connection is a really important thing and that teams are a really important thing uh, because one thing we have, uh, we noticed that I noticed throughout the pandemic is connection with the whole company was maybe more difficult and connection one-on-one was maybe more difficult just the way that our digital interfaces worked. But the teams, you were reliant so heavily throughout those two years on your team, the five or 10 people on your team. So I, I think those elements are going to shape the post-pandemic world. So I, I like the leadership on a one-on-one kind of basis. And it's so interesting that we have to almost retrain that, like care about people, have empathy toward people, ask them questions about, you know, their interests. Like these are leadership skills now where maybe, I don't know, in the 30s when Dale Carnegie wrote that book, it was just an assumed thing. Like that's what we did. We're humans. Yeah, I, that's interesting. So I started that book not too long ago and, and did not get very far, but I'm inspired now and I'm going to go back <laughs> so we can talk about it. Nice. Um, I just finished Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. And he talks a whole lot about, you know, how, how we cannot substitute human connection. And it's just imperative in building trust. And that's really what it comes down to is, is having a relationship and knowing your leader and and building upon that like you're, you're a whole lot less likely to leave when you have that relationship and you feel like someone actually knows you and cares about you and understands you know what you're dealing with day to day um that that's a different kind of work relationship versus a 15 minute teams call right yeah. uh, that it's really easy to walk away from from someone that you see on a 15 minute teams call once a week versus someone that, that knows you and, and helps you face challenges and you form trust with, and you've, you've overcome, uh, you know, different challenges at work together. That's just a, a different relationship that I, I, I agree with him. And I'm, I'm certainly feeling even more enlightened after reading the, the book that um, we really need to impress upon our, our leaders to get to know 
uh, their team members and, and spend spend more time on a one-on-one -on -one basis. What do you do? You think there's a fear there or like a hesitance because it takes more energy. Like I I, I remember a physiatrist that I worked with once. They were him. He and another physician were kind of like you know bantering and and maybe complaining about uh a high maintenance situation of family and uh the the one doctor said i'm so exhausted after like seeing patients for 6 hours and then this physiatrist and they deal with physical injury and rehab he said well that's that's good care like that's what that means and so i've always equated like that emotional output to being good care and maybe and good leadership um do you do you think that leaders are sometimes afraid of that emotional output or like getting emotionally drained or connecting that will like take a chunk of themselves out of it? Do you ever run into that? Yes. And I'll frame it as, um, I think part of it is, you know, sometimes you're going to have difficult conversations and, and we try to avoid those. Like, even if you have a great relationship with your team, at some point there's going to be a challenge or someone, someone's going to need some coaching or something that's, that's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and, and I think that's, that's definitely draining. Um, it's a, it's much easier to, you know, manage over email or, um, be able to turn off a zoom camera than it is to, to sit with a person face to face and, and, and spend that time. It is draining, but, but that's part of the, that's part of the job as, as a leader, right? And that, that's also something that, that I think um, we can do a better job of is, is setting that expectation. Like, hey, being the, the leader doesn't just mean a title and a pay change. Like this is, this is the hard part that, that comes along with it, but it's also the most rewarding, right? When you, when you lead a team and, um, and you see people become successful, like that, that's the good stuff. So it is hard work. But that's the, the carrot. I, I appreciate that we've covered like a ton of different topics. And uh, we've kind of kind of dove into a couple of a couple of things, you know, from the great resignation to, you know, purpose driven workplaces to to leadership uh, to to wrap up. How did how do you stay well? Like you have a, a huge job. You have, you know, you've been in this industry for a while now and you, um, you have, you have big challenges and you meet them head on. How do you, how do you take care of yourself? How do you stay well? Understanding that HR and people in culture, that is, that's one of the toughest, toughest jobs on earth because of the emotional output and also the operational capability that you have. So how do you, how do you do it? Um, so we talked about passion and I'm, I'm genuinely passionate about wellness, physical uh, wellness and mental wellness. Um, I start every day with a round of, of breathing exercises and a workout, and I'm, I'm very committed to it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't feel bad about spending that time on myself because I know it sets me up for a really, really good day. Um, and I, I keep, I think I'm pretty good about keeping priorities in check. Um, I, I start with the, the workout and the, the breathing exercises. My family comes first always. 
and I don't take myself too seriously. We have a whole lot of challenges, but it's important to have fun too. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we work really hard, but uh, I also surround myself with, with leaders that, that get it um, and care about the same thing. So I'm fortunate to work in a, an environment where I feel supported and I, I can talk about the things that, that I think um, matter to me and I can talk about wellness and, and that message is well received. Um, so, so that goes a long way. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm skimping out on, on work. If I take a workout in the morning and I'm 30 minutes, I get here at eight 30 instead of 8 AM. That's okay. Cause when I come in, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready for the day kind of thing. So, so those are the things that I do and, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. Exercise created and surrounded with yourself with a supportive team. Family comes first. And I heard that you breathe in the morning. So that's, I, I love it. Uh, congratulations on, on your work so far at Apache and, you know, uh, undergoing a cultural shift in an industry that uh, is really important for our community. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for joining us on the show. And um, we hope to connect soon around these really important topics. Thank you. Thanks for having me.